You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. Good morning. So glad that you could be here. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Kelly. That was wonderful. As many of you know, we have made it a tradition here at Genesis, uh, the Christmas season, to prove that Christmas can still change the world. And so for the past, I don't know, five or more years, we've been doing what we call Advent Conspiracy. We throw the word conspiracy in there just because it sounds cool, uh, makes people think. But the whole idea is that we want to redeem this season and make a difference. And so for years now, we've been asking people to, to worship God, even as Kelly said, with our whole lives all the time. We've been asking people to spend less, to actually not buy that ugly Christmas sweater, okay? Do society a favor. And with that money that you save, you could actually give more, give of your time, give of your uh, resources, make cards, bake cookies. I want to tell you uh, a story, uh, share something that happened uh, with Mary Borja. She shared this. She's working with the nursery right now. But um, she went to work and she gets Christmas cards and things for the people at her work. I don't know. She has maybe 20 or so people working with her. And she'll usually buy them a gift. She made them cards and then she asked them not to buy her a Christmas gift but she said that we are get, taking money and we are donating it to this food program that we've been talking about there in Haiti. And so instead of buying me a gift, if you would like to, it's totally voluntary, contribute towards this food program. And they raised $180 for the children in Haiti. And... You know, the money is a great thing, but what's really great is now we see that the spirit of Christmas is actually being lived out and that Mary was actually able to represent this to the people who she is working with. And last week, we want to love all. Last year, again, we built a cafeteria for the children at St. Andre's School and train on Haiti. The year before that was... Uh, Latrine, and this year we are wanting to raise $5,000 to basically take the children out to lunch. 150 children once a week for 28 weeks. I'm happy to let you know so far we have raised $4,250 towards that. And I don't know if that's counting the $180 or not, so we are right there. I, I share that with you because, again, if a hundred of us gave $50, we would meet that $5,000. I know some of you have given more. Whatever you give, it is being contributed towards this. And it is, again, done in the name of Christ. And this is what Christmas is about. It's not about getting gifts. It's not about spending. It is about showing the love of Christ to all. $450 billion a year spent on Christmas in the United States alone. And think about what needs there are around the world. And so while we are enjoying the latest gadget or the new fashion, 
there are people who just are struggling to get food. And so what we are doing is saying, you know what, we'll give up a little bit of what we have, the excess that we have, and we will help that area. And so again, thank you all for contributing. Again, you can give in the back. If you do use the tablet to give towards the food program, just let them know so that the money can go directly towards that and we will keep you posted. If we raise more than $5,000, that money will go still towards the kids as well as those who are serving the food there at the school. And so thank you again. Well, we are concluding our our Advent series. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And I've entitled this, Things I Learned from the Wise Men. And so we're going to read the story of the wise men. And they're such a mysterious group. We don't know how many there were. We tend to say three because there were three gifts given But really, there is no disclosure of how many. It could have been a caravan. It could have been 12. It could have been 20. It could have been three. We we don't know. And we don't know a whole lot about them. We use the word wise men because it sounds nice. The word is actually the word magi. And the word magi actually means magician. But it's not like an abracadabra, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat magician. A magician at that time was also someone who was into medicine and studied a lot of things as well as studied astrology. And the reason I mention this is because we tend to kind of want to clean everything up, make it all nice and neat and tidy. And that's just not the gospel as it comes to us. It comes to us in all the mess You know, I I love the song Silent Night, but there's that one verse, no crying he makes. I bet he cried, okay? I don't know a baby that doesn't cry. Some cry more than others. Some cry a lot. It wasn't just that simple, that serene, and that peaceful. This was quite an ordeal have to travel to Bethlehem on a donkey while you're pregnant. It's not a fun road trip. And here we come to the story where these magi enter in. And so in chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, and asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. 
And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here are these men from the east, maybe as far as Babylon. That, that's kind of what a lot of people think because Daniel speaks about these magi being a part of that. And so there's a good chance they're a part of that area. It's a thousand miles away. And it's not like a straight line. You don't take the 101 and go from Babylon to Bethlehem. Okay, there are mountains, there are all kinds of obstacles in the way. At this time, the average person would only travel about 35 miles from where they were born. That was like pushing it. If you were born in that time, usually the farthest you would try travel is about 35 miles from where you were born. And so here, this is quite a trek. The wise men are on this journey following this star. And that's my first point, is that wise men follow the star. Now, wise women too, okay, just so you ladies don't feel excluded there. Wise people follow the star. In verse 2, it says, we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. Years ago, when I was a young lad and I had strength, I went with my brother and my second cousin and a friend of ours, and we went to go hike Mount Whitney. It's the tallest mountain in the continental United States. I don't know how much how high it is. I could Google it, but I know that much. And as we went there, it was overcast. In fact, as we, we got to the base of the mountain, it was raining a little bit. And so this wasn't looking like fun. We all slept. There were five of us or four of us that slept in my uh, cousin's Mercedes. Um, wasn't really comfortable, but it was better than being wet. And so finally in the morning, we got up and it was a little misty and it was hiking up there and it was kind of miserable. And I'm carrying this big backpack and we got tents, sleeping bags and some food, the whole nine yards. And so we go up to this trek and, and we make it to this fat, flat landing. It, it took a whole day to get there. And this landing, there was a nice, beautiful stream there. And then up ahead was the peak that we had to go to, there was like these 99 switchbacks or 199 or 1,099. There were just all these switchbacks that just went up to the top of Mount Whitney. And so we, we made our camp there. We had something to eat. And we went into our, our tents. And I remember there were these, they call them marmots, these little creatures that are out there. No one told me that there were creatures out there. And if you leave your tent open, they will go into your tent and try and find your food. And that was an experience. But I remember in the middle of the night, nature calling, and I had to go to the restroom. You know, and okay, it's like, I got to go. I'm in a tent. Well, I'm in nature. I'll go find a tree or something. I'll, I'll go out. So I come out of the, the tent. I step outside, and I look up, and the stars 
are just blinding. There is a blanket of stars. It scared me there were so many stars. I thought someone put out more stars than usual tonight because I have never seen that many stars. There are more stars at Mount Whitney's location there are there are in Upland. There's not, but it sure seems like it because of the lights and all those things. But looking out there, it was majestic. It was awesome. It made me feel very, very small, but I could not stop but look because I hadn't seen anything like that ever before. You know, they have these apps now where you can put it on your phone and you point it up at the stars and it tells you all the names of the stars. It's amazing. It even shows you the constellations and all that are there. And you'll look it up there and you're like, I have no, they're just dots to me, right? I I don't know the names. I know the sun, the big yellow one's the sun, right? I, I know that much, but someone has named all of these stars, And on this little app, you actually see the rotation of these stars and planets, and it's amazing, and it's awe-inspiring. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. I tell you, when I stepped out of that tent, those stars were shouting at me. The glory of God. If we're not careful, we'll stop staring at the stars. Little time of inquiry here and maybe confession Have any of you been walking and maybe you're texting or playing Candy Crush or whatever your game of choice is and run into someone or run into something? Is anybody? Okay, a couple honest people. I'm like, I don't want to admit that. I know sometimes when I'm training, I'm walking dogs. I'm like looking at the dog. I walked into cars. I walked into pool. But there's times where I've been texting, it's like, oh, I didn't see that table, and boom, you run into it. How how about this one? Have you ever gone out to eat with some family or friends, and you're sitting down, and then you look up, and everybody is on their cell phone? Anyone? I thought there would be all of you, but okay, some of you don't. I, I think that it happens a lot. I think if we're not careful we will get encompassed by the things on our cell phone instead of the things that are around us. We, we look at our phones, not the stars. We, we've lost the sense of wonder. We don't search for God in creation. We Google it. I need some information on God. I'll Google it. When creation is shouting and maybe we're just not listening. And... There has to be this holy sense of wonder. There, there has to be the sense of there is something amazing taking place and all around me that is pouring forth speech that I really should be listening to. 
And so sometimes we see it in that sunset or in nature and in a child being born. We, we get the sense of awe and it's amazing. But so many times we're looking at our phones instead of looking at life around us. See, life is not measured in minutes. It's measured in moments. And we lose those moments if we are unaware that God is in them. Now, these wise men didn't only see the stars but they followed them. I wonder if they were from Babylon, if there were other wise men who also saw the star but didn't follow it. Because I don't know how far this journey is going to go. I, I don't know what it's going to take of me. I've got to, you know, get the yard work done or whatever your excuse is in Babylon. How many of them saw the star and said something significant is happening, but they actually didn't follow it. They chose to stay home instead. And I wonder who should have known that the Messiah was being born. Shouldn't it been, shouldn't it have been those religious leaders who were just five miles away? You see, they weren't following. They weren't seeing. They were busy on their cell phones, figuratively. Because they weren't listening and they weren't following the star. The Magi were looking and then they followed the mystery and they discovered the Messiah, and it changed the course of their lives and history. And because of their action in this divine moment, they actually warned Joseph and Mary and didn't lead Herod to him. And so following the star led them to a place where they actually encountered God in a tangible way. I wonder if sometimes we see, we know, but we don't follow. We're not following like the Magi did. Now, the second point thing I learned from the wise men is wise men jump for joy. In verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I don't want to overstate this, and I don't want to just make this the, the single point, but I think there's a, a point to be made here. I think maybe our biggest problem isn't that we are not aware of our sin. I think maybe our biggest problem is we actually don't rejoice in what God has done. In other words, maybe if our focus shifted from the things that we fail to do to a recognition of all the things that God has done, we could actually rejoice. We could actually have joy. And maybe our problem is we are focused on the wrong things. We are looking at ourselves. We are looking at the, the problems that we have and the things that we face and the hurt that's been done to us and the things that have happened in the name of Jesus. And, and we look at these things and they start consuming our thoughts and we fail to see all that God is doing, has done, enjoy the creation and the things that are there. See, wise men jump for joy. I don't think 
we enjoy life, enjoy the journey, enjoy God nearly as much as we should or as much as we could. I don't think we enter into this place. We, we tend to be a little bit more cerebral and, and stoic. But, but listen to what the scriptures say. In John 10, he says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, all these commands to rejoice, that's what they are. They're, they're not suggestions. They're not like, hey, if life is going good, rejoice. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think it's when things are not going well that we are being commanded to rejoice. We are, we are being told to enter into this place of recognition that this is the day the Lord has made. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can be glad in it. Not because the car battery was dead when you got started. Not because they messed up your Starbucks drink and you can't go back because you're on the freeway. Just a little personal thing that I'm dealing with. <laughs> no, you rejoice because of what he has done. And I think we fail to enter into this area of joy more than we could and more than we should. What did the angels say? They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Not just joy, great joy. Think of what makes you joyful and then multiply it so that it's great. And I wonder what would happen if we work this backwards if we took this idea of great joy, if it doesn't show that we should probably be the most joyful people in the world. If we have this knowledge of, of the Messiah and, and all he's done, we should be the people who are the happiest on the planet. It doesn't mean have a smile like the televangelist, okay? This is genuine joy. This isn't fake, but we ought to smile more. We ought to rejoice more. We ought to be more grateful. We ought to be more thankful. There is something that should cause great joy. Now, in the Hebrew tradition, in the Old Testament, there were seven feasts that were initiated by God. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Shiva, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Feast of Shukat. All these feasts had different emphasis, but why would God put these feasts into their life and into their calendar except to help them remember the things that they forget and not forget the things that they should remember? Which is exactly what we need, isn't it? I mean, think of Christmas. Think of how it's become so consumer-driven. I know that there are many of you here this morning who can't wait for this season to be over. 
you won't say it, but you're thinking it right now. You're thinking, I'm exhausted if I have to go out one more time. Why? Because we're failing to remember something that we should, or maybe we're forgetting something that we should remember. And so God initiated these feasts to help them to remember, help them to rejoice. Isn't that a great thing? Part of your tradition, part of your worship to God is a feast, is a celebration. Nehemiah chapter 8, that's what they did. They, they found the law and they celebrated. They sanctified themselves. And they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles together. A while back when we would have communion, we had communion once a month and we called it a love feast. And on Sunday, we feasted. I know it's always supposed to be solemn and, and serious, but it's a feast. It's for us to remember. In fact, in Corinthians, it says that he broke the bread and gave it to them, and then they ate. And after they had eaten, he took the cup and they drank. There was actually a meal in between. So it's not just here's a cracker and here's a little juice to wash it down. It was actually a, a meal that they celebrated remembering that Christ has brought them together. See, the idea here is that we should rejoice. These feasts are there because that's what it's supposed to be. Now, it doesn't mean we have to get all regimented. There's nothing wrong with watching a 30-minute documentary on Frosty the Snowman, okay? <laughs> I, I love those things. You know, that, that's great. But we can't lose focus, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think God wants to teach us, his people, how to celebrate. And he weaved worship and feasts and celebration together. And even though they were wise men, they still could rejoice. Now, now this idea of they rejoiced, the different translations, the NIV, it says they were overjoyed, overjoyed, overdosed on joy. Think of that. I like that definition. Overdosing on joy. The ESV says rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. J.B. Phillips says the sight of the star filled them with indescribable joy. Right? The SJS says they jumped for joy like children. Those are my initials. I just threw that one in. As long as it's not heretical, I think we're okay. You see... They jumped for joy. They were ecstatic. A thousand miles they've been traveling. I'm sick of the stupid smell of my camel spitting everywhere. Every city, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm sick of that. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. U2 song comes to mind. And so they finally come to this place, indescribable joy. It's a combination of four words in the Greek. It takes four Greek words to describe what is happening in this one word we call joy. This is a spontaneous combustion of joy. They see it. They recognize the destination. They are overdosing on joy after this journey. Did you rejoice as much as you should have this past year? Did you count all your blessings? Are you grateful for the people in your life who are there by your side, who put up with you, who help you. 
Did you meet your laugh quota? What's your laugh quota for next year going to be? Did you smile as much as you could have or should have? See, joy is found in the same place that the wise men found it. It's not found in the star. It's not found in Bethlehem. It's found in the person, Jesus Christ. The joy is that here God is with us and God has entered in, broken into our world for our behalf, to deal with our brokenness, to deal with our sin. Do you know the joy of being forgiven? The joy of not having those things be held against you? The joy of being able to have a relationship with God in spite of who you are and all that you do. Do you realize that at at this revelation of God in human form, he is also revealing to us that you are the apple of his eye. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do Do you recognize, can you rejoice in the fact of God's overwhelming joy? See, Christmas is not just the celebration of the birth of Christ but of the sinless life and the substitutionary death on the cross and for the gift of salvation. There is reason to rejoice. So wise men jump for joy. And the third one I want to close with is wise men come bearing gifts. In verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I cannot tell you the difference that has been made in my life and my family's life because of the generosity of people. Because of people who have given gifts to us. Times where financially we could not make it and we get an envelope and a card and someone saying, hey, we know you're going through a struggle here. We want to help you. And it changes everything. And those gifts come at just the right time and it's as if God is sending it himself. I mean, it's a gift, but it's a miracle. It's a a gift, but it's a miracle. And you find out that really it's the same thing. I mean, these wise men were, were giving gifts, but this was a miracle. You see, Joseph was gonna have to move his family all the way to Egypt. How do you do that when you are a carpenter making minimum wage, had just gone to Bethlehem to pay your taxes, and now you have to relocate to Egypt for safety? This gift was divine. And I want to encourage us to recognize that giving is more than just substance, that it is the opportunity to work miracles in the lives of those around us. These children in Haiti, they're getting food. Their parents can't afford it. Their parents are already going without just to get them in school. It's a gift. It's like a miracle. Denise shared last week how 
for a reason. The organization that she started has built two houses for families that are there in Haiti. That's a miracle. How would you like if someone came and built you a house? You think it's any different from them? It was a gift, but it was a miracle. You see, wise men come bearing gifts. Your gift might be someone else's miracle. It can be the gift of time. It can be the gift of a plate of cookies, which I am very grateful for those gifts this past week, but I'm going to pay for them. I already am. It could be the gift of the money that we use to build the latrine or the cafeteria or the school lunch program. It could be helping someone out who you know is in financial stress, lost their job, has medical issues, whatever it is. Your gift can become someone else's miracle. And you see, these gifts were miraculous. Your gift can be of such value, you don't know how it can make the difference in someone's life. I remember at the grocery store and the woman in front of us was buying some groceries, but she couldn't afford all the groceries. You guys have seen videos like this and I was like in it, right? You know, here's this lady. She's like, oh, I I can't afford that. And it's like, wait a second here, let me pay for that. It's like, I can't let this lady not get her groceries. And so I gave the cashier the money, and it's not like, it's like 20 bucks, okay? It's not like I gave $100, you know, here. I just put in 20 bucks, and the lady starts crying. And then the the girl at the cashier, we all had like this little moment, you know? It's like, what's going, you know? And all it was was a little gift. She goes, oh, that, that made my difference. That made the difference in our day. It's like, all it was was a gift, but it meant everything to those people. Why? Because it is the heart of God that is generous, gave his son. Wise men come bearing gifts. I'm so thankful for the generosity of people in my life, and I'm so thankful for the generosity of this church. The things that we have done for others, it means the world to me. It's what I've always wanted to see a church do, care outside of itself. And you guys have done it. Again, you do it every year. We've almost raised the $5,000. And, and I'm, if you knew how little faith I had, you wouldn't let me be your pastor, probably. You just say, Let's get someone with faith in there. I remember last year when we said $25,000, I was like, oh, God. That's not going to happen. What am I going to say when it doesn't happen? You know, what are we going to do? And then it happens. And then this year, I say, okay, $5,000. We just got one month. Okay, well, we'll probably push into February, you know, to get it done. I mean, just being honest with you, this is what I think. And here we are, $4,250, probably more now, right there. And all I can do is say thank you. Because wise men know what it means to give. It is the heart of God. Remember, as we went through the fruit of the Spirit, those things that are part of the fruit of the Spirit are goodness, our kindness, our gentleness, 
Those are the marks and the character of those who belong to God. The things we're doing in Mexico, helping out with the orphans, Gabe, Herman, and Miriam just came back, helped out. We're going to plan on going again probably in February, it looks like. You see, your giving makes the miracle of God possible. Not just for what you give towards Haiti or here at Genesis, but to the people's lives that you are involved with. Wise men follow the star. They are searching for God. They are aware that the mysterious is all around them and speaking forth, shouting out. They understand that, and so they follow that star. And I, I hope that we will continue to do the same thing. We know that wise men also don't just follow the star, but they rejoice. They jump for joy. They have reason to be grateful. And then wise men come bearing gifts. I pray that this next year we would be like the wise men. We would hear God, that we would rejoice, and we would be generous with all that he has for us. Let's pray. Lord, another season has come. Lord, once again, we have the opportunity to remember your birth and to celebrate who you are. And Lord, we have chosen to do this in a way that we believe points to you. I thank you for these people who have given of themselves to help the food program for the children in Haiti, Lord. And I pray that we would continue to be a, a community that is generous, loving, caring, Lord, willing to help those who are in need, even as we've helped Terry with the food and continue to lift her up in prayer, Lord. I pray that if there are some here this morning, Lord, who maybe have been busy looking at their phone and not listening to you speak. They have been busy worrying about their inadequacy to see and rejoice in your adequacy for them. Our Father, even what is probably the most difficult thing is sometimes we are, are stingy with our hearts, God. We fail to give you our very lives. Maybe this morning, Father, you have, through these wise men, revealed where we stand and where we need to change. And I pray we would make those changes and that we would follow you, rejoice in what you've done, and give our lives over fully to you. Lord, bless everyone's Christmas here. We thank you again for your goodness. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.